brother! Ben, I have been doing some crystal gazing, and I must say, I have seen through the smoke, into the void, and out the other side of time. I have tuned my mind with the inner vibrations of the universe, and I have come to a startling conclusion. And that is that Professor Trelawney is actually a really good seer. And no, I don't mean on just those random occasions where she genuinely goes into a trance and gets all like, oh my god, the Dark Lord's coming. <coughs> I mean, basically, at all times, she is making accurate predictions. So today, we are going to discover how Professor Trelawney is actually not a fraud. Speaking of the future, here's a prediction for you, Ben, that this Friday here on Super Carlin Brothers, we are going to be going live at 3 p.m. Eastern Time to celebrate the one-year anniversary of Carlin Brothers Coffee. It is going to be a lot of fun. We're going to be doing giveaways, revealing some new products, but the thing I'm most excited about is the new very exclusive mugs, of which there's going to be four. Make of that what you will. Additionally, any bag of coffee purchased whilst we are streaming will arrive to your door signed by both me and Ben. So again, this Friday, 3 p.m. Eastern Time here on Super Carlin Brothers. Hope to see you there. But back to cooking sherry drinking enthusiast Sybil Trelawney and her serious knack for predicting things and serious lack of understanding why anything she's saying is actually true. For the most part, you're supposed to think of Trelawney as a fraud, just some sort of bumbling annoyance that Harry has to deal with. And after the first few books with her, you're sort of left wondering like, why does Dumbledore even employ her? Later on, however, you discover that she is of immense and great value because she made a prophecy to Dumbledore that she's completely unaware of. And not just any prophecy, but like the the prophecy. She's only interested in you because she thinks you're the chosen one. But I am the chosen one. As a reader, this single fact basically justifies everything about her existence in the castle and seems to prove that except in rare circumstances outside her control or awareness, she is a complete fraud. Even Dumbledore, who I think we can all agree is polite first and crazy powerful wizard second, seems to think that just divination is sort of a waste of time. A point that is further driven home by basically every single character who isn't named Parvati Patil or Lavender Brown. Could you get? Harry and Ron routinely make fun of her and even receive good marks on homework they completely make up. Hermione points out flaws in her logic and even quits her class in a very un-Hermione-esque way. Even McGonagall, who basically supports literally anything Dumbledore says, is like, I'm not sure she should be here. That is her real tragic flaw as a teacher, that she's actually making a lot of accurate predictions, but she's so bad at knowing what she's looking at at that she comes off looking very daft. Did I use that right? It's like British for foolish, right? Yeah, I think yeah. so. I, I guess I could have just said foolish. It would have worked. Yeah. Well, now I just look even more daft. Let's start from the beginning because she actually makes a rather impressive showing on Harry's first day in her class. The first few predictions she rattles off go like this. First to Neville, Is your grandmother well, dear? I wouldn't be too sure. Next to Parvati, Beware a redhead man. And then to the class, Around Easter, one of our number will leave us forever. To which you might say, uh, well, we know that actually nothing is wrong with Neville's grandmother and Parvati never has any reason to beware of a red-haired man and the one around Easter actually 
actually, ooh, we do know that one. It is about Hermione and she does leave. Really, it's a phrasing problem because leave forever sounds like she's gonna die and not just like drop a class. But you know, it's still true. But you know what else is true? All of them. They're just misread. Neville's grandmother, for example. Is there anything wrong with her? No. But there is an instance in the near future with what might look like Neville's grandmother. And let's face it, if Neville's grandmother suddenly started looking like Severus Snape, yeah, yeah, you'd say maybe she's not looking so well. Parvati, to my knowledge, has no actual reason to beware of a red-haired man, but her identical twin sister, Padma Patil, does have a really bad time with Ron at the Yule Ball just one year later. Are you going to ask me to dance or not? No. It seems very possible to me that as she looks into the future, she is seeing someone who looks like Parvati having a bad time with a red-haired man, but she can't figure out who it is because they look the same. Later in the class, she also tells Lavender that the thing she fears will happen will happen on October the 16th. Fast forward to that day and Lavender thinks this was in reference to the death of her rabbit, Binky, which incidentally terrible name for a rabbit. Personally, I would have gone with carrots because, wait for it, my rabbit in the wizarding world would be totally gold. <laughs> you see how things can be misinterpreted? Hermione is able to swiftly debunk that theory, saying that Binky wasn't old or sick, so there's no reason Lavender should have actually been worried about the death of it, and that the rabbit didn't even die on the day in question. It died a few days ago and she's just getting the news that day. All very good points, classic Hermione, and yet not relevant at all because of that is not actually the thing Lavender was worried about. If you will recall in Prisoner of Azkaban, there was a certain amount of like permanent fear floating around the castle regarding the Prisoner of Azkaban. There's Dementors everywhere and all the students are just like a little bit on edge that he's gonna break into the castle and attack one of the students. And guess what happens later on October 16th? That exact same thing. It's him, Headmaster. The one they all talk about. He's here, somewhere in the castle. Serious Black! Moving on through the class though, she next tells Neville that he's going to break one of the pink teacups, so would he please choose a blue one on the next time? This comes true basically instantly. Which like, one, why does it just tell him to get a blue one from the start? And like, two, does it matter at all? Isn't Reparo like the easiest of wizarding spells? Oculus, Reparo. You didn't have to say Oculus. Finally, she notices the Grim in Harry's cup and tells him it is the worst omen of death. And to be fair, she's both kind of right and wrong in this situation. Like, she misinterprets the Grim as a death omen, but Harry does encounter a giant black dog later that year, and eventually, you know, he does die. <laughs> Then there's the Christmas scene later in Prisoner of Azkaban where Sybil descends from her tower and is reluctant to join the other staff and students at the table because she will make 13 and when 13 dine together, the first to rise will be the first to die. They decide to risk it anyway, but she still proceeds to totally freak out when at the end of the meal, Harry and Ron stand up almost simultaneously and she is certain that one of them has doomed themselves. Which again, Harry does die. <laughs> But that doesn't matter because he's not the first person from that table to actually die. That would be Dumbledore. <laughs> so that would seem to prove Trelawney wrong in this scenario. Except Sybil is not the 13th person to sit down at the table. She's the 14th. She miscounts because Peter Pettigrew is currently disguised as Scabbers in Ron's pocket. And guess who does indeed rise from his chair first to welcome Sybil to the dinner? Dumbledore. And in case you need a refresher, 
he dies. Moving on to Goblet of Fire, she starts dropping hints early on that Harry is actually a Horcrux, a thing we didn't pick up on because at the time none of us knew what a Horcrux was. You are preoccupied, my dear. My inner eye sees past your brave face to the troubled soul within. I fear the thing you dread will indeed come to pass, and perhaps sooner than you think. This, of course, hits Harry with all the impact of two tissues colliding. But knowing what we know, I think the troubled soul she's seeing is not Harry, but Voldemort. And the thing he's fearing is the thing he's always fearing. Death. Sure, it doesn't happen for another three years, but in his mind, he's immortal. And when you think you're gonna live forever, sooner than you think is really just, you know, ever. She also tells Harry, I was saying that Saturn was surely in a position of power in the heavens at the moment of your birth. Your dark hair, your mean stature, tragic losses so young in life. I think I am right in saying, my dear, that you were born in midwinter? Harry was of course born in midsummer though, so once more she seems like she's way off base. But again, if she's seeing Voldemort's soul and not Harry's here, then she's right on the mark. I mean, the dark hair, the mean stature, the tragic losses young at life, and yeah, he was born in midwinter, December 31st. She also tells the class that year that death is circling closer and closer to the castle and, you know, Cedric dies. From there, as time goes on, she has less and less page time with Harry, so we see her less and less, but she does have a few more predictions in Order of the Phoenix. First, she tells Umbridge in a last-ditch effort to save her job that you are in grave danger. It seems like she's just grasping straws here, but then later Umbridge totally is carried off by a herd of angry centaurs, and if that doesn't qualify as grave danger, I don't know what does. And then there's the big one in Half-Blood Prince. The Knave of Spades. Harry has two meaningful encounters with Trelawney in Half-Blood Prince, both of which are ripe with foreshadowing. Two of spades, conflict. Seven of spades, an ill omen. Ten of spades, violence. Knave of spades, a dark young man, possibly troubled, one who dislikes the questioner. Well, that can't be right. Or can it be right? To me, in retrospect, this has always been pretty clearly pointing to Draco and his mission to kill Dumbledore. He is the Knave of Spades. The terrible irony here is, of course, that Harry is obsessed with Draco for a good portion of this book, but he's so dismissive of Trelawney that he just totally passes by all these clues, which I think have several layers of meaning. For conflict, we know Draco is feeling conflicted about his actual work for the Dark Lord and the act of killing someone. He's definitely been talking a big game for the last five years, but now that he's finally been forced to put on his big boy Death Eater pants, it might be more than he's bargained for. These aren't just big boy pants, these are like big boy overalls. The ill omen could be a few things, whether it be the dark mark on his arm that he shows to Borgen at the shop, the items he tries to get to Dumbledore as gifts, or even just the dark mark above the tower to lure in Dumbledore. The violence could allude to his later duel with Harry, where he gets all sectumsempered, or else, you know, the climax of the book where Dumbledore gets murdered. <laughs> And as for the questioner, it could either be Snape or Dumbledore. Snape is bothering Malfoy all year, asking him what his progress is like on his mission. But I think it's more likely Dumbledore, who asks him a series of questions up on top of the tower to stall for time. That is, after all, the climax of the book, and it ties in nicely with the other card reading Harry gets from Trelawney, which is the Lightning Struck Tower. Sybil runs into Harry and tells him that Dumbledore has been ignoring her all year, despite the cards repeatedly showing her over and over that disaster 
disaster and calamity is coming closer and closer. She even dramatically pulls Heart of the Card style the lightning struck tower from the deck she's carrying. As ever, Harry is inclined to ignore her. But looking back, it would seem that once again, she was right all along. JK Rowling all but confirms this by naming the chapter in which Dumbledore dies, The Lightning Struck Tower. I actually feel bad for Trelawney in this situation because as she's telling Dumbledore this, he already knows exactly what she's talking about, but obviously can't confirm any of the things she's saying, it just has to be like, Nah. All in all, it just very clearly indicates that Malfoy is indeed the knave of spades, and that almost anything Sybil Trelawney says in the books will come true, even if she has absolutely no capacity to understand what she's actually saying. Ben, my question for you and everyone else is, what do you think? Is Sybil actually secretly really great from her job? A secret she's apparently also keeping from herself. I'd love to know your thoughts in the towel section down below. And don't forget guys, this Friday at 3 p.m. Eastern time, we'll be having a live stream right here on Super Carlin Brothers to celebrate the one year anniversary of Carlin Brothers Coffee. We'll be doing some giveaways, unveiling new products, new mugs. It's gonna be a lot of fun. Hope to see you there. Thanks as always for watching today's video. Please leave a like on it if you haven't already and subscribe so you don't miss any future Harry Potter action from us. If you want to see why Harry's scar is in the shape of a lightning bolt, you can check out this video right here. Or if you want to see what a cloud cuckoo lander is and why Sybil Trelawney definitely is one, check out this video about Gerald from Finding Dory. But Ben, that's all I've got for you today, man. I will see you in another life, brother.